I remember the first time I went to that church. I was about 22 years old, I guess, maybe 23, just out of college in my first job in Colorado, working as a software programmer. And actually, I was probably about 24 or 25 because I'd been there for a couple of years. And I'd gone to the same church since I got there. I, had the, I, choose, I chose my church the way that everybody does, right? I opened up the, the phone book to the yellow pages and looked for churches in the denomination that I grew up in. Do phone books even exist anymore? I don't even know. Um, that's how I found my church. And I'd gone there for a while uh, and enjoyed it. But I was looking for, I just felt like, um, there, I was looking for more connection than I was experiencing at that time. And so I had some friends from work who said, hey, you should come with us to this other church sometime. It's, it's great. Uh, I think you'll love it. And I remember the first time I went to that church. I walked up, and as we were approaching, as we were coming out of the, the, the car and walking up to the front door, I could hear the band playing, and I could hear the guitars, and I could hear the drums, and I got a little bit of a knot in my stomach because that was very different from the church that I had grown up in. I grew up in a church that we sang, we knew, how, we knew the right way to worship the Lord. It was with hymnals and organs. Um, and so that was what I was used to. And so walking up to that door and hearing the band and hearing the guitars, I actually said something of a prayer to God, like something like, God, please don't strike me down. I'm just here to worship. And I said that sort of, sort of seriously, sort of kidding at the same time. <laughs> because my understanding of worship was this is what it looks like. You get your hymnal out and, and we follow uh, along with the organist. And, and that's a great way to worship. And I'm grateful for it. And I'm grateful for that foundation. But what I learned that day as I approached this, uh, this new worship experience is that people worship God in lots and lots of different ways. And God receives all of that praise and all of that worship if we offer it with our hearts and all of who we are in response to all of what God has done. And so I learned that day that there, is, there are in fact multiple ways <laughs> to worship. God is always calling us and inviting us to experience a new thing in our midst. I learned a new praise language. I learned about new possibilities for worship. I didn't know. I mean, I knew it existed. I didn't know it existed for me. And in that moment of invitation, God expanded my understanding of who God is and how we are all made to worship. And it was a beautiful thing. You see, with God, the possibilities are endless. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like um, as we wrap up our series on rebuilding, what it looks like to imagine God's possibilities for us and how we wait and hope and expectation for what God is doing in our midst. And so I'm going to tell, we're going to read two stories today from Scripture, one from the Old Testament and one from the New Testament that talk about just that, the possibilities that exist with God and the hope that we wait for with him. And so our first, uh, our first Scripture comes from Isaiah chapter 43. And I'm going to read starting at verse 16. Isaiah 43 Verse 16, hear this word. This is what the Lord says. He who made a way through the sea, a path through the mighty waters, who drew out the chariots and horses, the army and reinforcements together, and they lay there never to rise again. 
extinguished, snuffed out like a wick. Forget the former things. Do not dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up. Do you not perceive it? I am making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. The wild animals honor me, the jackals and owls, because I provide water in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland to give drink to my people, my chosen, the people I formed for myself, that they may proclaim my praise. Friends, this is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I want to remind you of the context in which Isaiah is writing. We've talked about it a little bit these last few weeks. We've talked a lot about how it seems there are interesting parallels to uh, the, the situations we find ourselves in today, the state of the world. Uh, it feels a little bit foreign. It feels, we feel a little bit displaced. We're trying to figure out how to get back, right? Well, that's where the Israelites were. That's where God's people were in this time, uh, in the time that Isaiah wrote this word. They were and are God's people, but yet they had been taken captive and sent to Babylon. Jerusalem had been destroyed. The temple was destroyed. Their leaders were, were cast out. And they were sent into exile in Babylon. And so they were left sitting there saying to themselves, how did we get here? Discombobulated, just unsettled in a foreign place, in a place where they didn't worship the same God as, as, as God's people did. And they wondered, how can we God's people have ended up in this place? And I wonder how often we felt like that. How did we get here in this last year? How is it that we're here and we long to get back? to the way things used to be before this pandemic. Well, God says to them in this, through Isaiah, through the prophet Isaiah, he, he reminds them first who they are and who God is. God's the God who made a way through the sea. He's the one who drew out the chariots and horses and, 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 and army and reinforcements all together, and then they lay there never to rise again. He snuffed them out. Salvation. And so he starts with that, and then he says what, what might be a little bit of an abrupt transition for those who are listening to the word. Forget the former things. Don't dwell on the past. See, I am doing a new thing. You see, in the time when this was written, the prophet Isaiah, they were about to, God's people were about to be released from captivity and set free and empowered to rebuild Jerusalem, rebuild the temple. But they were also about to realize that God can be worshipped outside of Jerusalem. And this was a very new thing for them. God had always, through, after the wandering through the desert, uh, Jerusalem was the holy city. It was the place where people would go, where God would dwell, and where, where they would worship God in the temple. But that was destroyed. So they were left to wonder, where is God in all of this? Well, God was about to do a new thing. God was about to send them back to rebuild the city, to rebuild the temple. Um, and, and, and this was about to happen, and this is what Isaiah is preaching. And so when he says, forget the former things, it's, almost, it's more of a rhetorical device to say, hey, wake up. Don't sit there pining away for the way things used to be. I am doing a new thing in your midst. Do you not perceive it? And what he's really saying is if, if there's something from the past that prohibits you from being open to the way that God is moving right now, 
Let's just go ahead and leave that in the past. If there's something that, that, that limits your imagination for what God could be doing even right now in our midst, let's just leave that aside and let's try to be open to the new thing that God is always doing. God is always providing water in the desert. Verse 20, verse 21, uh, so streams in the wasteland so that my people, my chosen, can proclaim my praise. With God, the possibilities are endless. And so I wonder, I wonder, as I think back to that Sunday when I walked in that church and I heard that band and I prayed that, that, that sort of prayer, I wonder where I would be right now if I hadn't done that. If I hadn't been open to the way that perhaps God was inviting me into a bigger understanding of who God is and how God works and moves in the world, I wonder where I would be Right now, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be here at Boone United Methodist. I'm pretty sure I wouldn't be a pastor. And now, of course, God can accomplish anything, right? And there may have been other paths that God would have led me down to this one. But I can tell you that as a part of going to that church, as a part of experiencing a new way of worshiping, as a part of growing relationships with other friends, I met a pastor that I just really resonated with. And he seemed like, I don't know, a regular guy. And I was like, wait a second, you're, you're a pastor? He's like, yeah. <laughs> and so that opened my imagination for who a pastor could be and what a pastor could look like and how a pastor would interact and live and, and move and, and be in the community. And I might not have been exposed to that had I not been willing to say, okay, God, like I'm a little nervous about all this thing that's going on here. This is not what I'm used to. This is not what I'm comfortable with. But I'm going to go because I sense your spirit is inviting me to something. I think that's the message for us today too. God was doing something bigger than I'd ever had imagined or considered. And I wonder if God is doing something similar in our midst as we come out of this pandemic. The second story I want to read from this morning is from the book of Acts. And the book of Acts follows uh, the, the Gospels. So that we have the Gospels that tell the story of who Jesus is and what Jesus did. And then we have the book of Acts, which tells the story of the Holy Spirit and the ways that Jesus continues to move and be active through the body of Christ, us, the church. And next week, we're going to get to Pentecost, the, the birth of the church, the, the, the coming of the Holy Spirit. But this week, we're going to set that all up um, from Acts chapter 1. And so hear these words from the beginning of the book of Acts, starting at verse 1. In my former book, this is Luke writing, by the way. That many, Luke, the gospel writer, also wrote the, the book of Acts. Uh, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all the things that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up to heaven. After giving instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After his suffering, he presented himself to them and gave many convincing proofs that he was alive. He appeared to them over a period of 40 days and spoke about the kingdom of God. On one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore Israel? Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father has set by his own authority, 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid them, hid him from their sight. They were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way that you have seen him go into heaven. Friends, this too is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. I love how this story sets us up in anticipation for what God is going to do next week with the arrival of the Holy Spirit in Pentecost. But before we get there, I just want to mention a couple things about this setup. Uh, so, so the disciples had been gathering. They had met with Jesus. They had heard his teachings. Uh, and Jesus had told them through the Holy Spirit, had given them instructions. Uh, he had taught them about the kingdom of God for 40 days after his resurrection and before his ascension. And he told them, hang on, just wait for the gift that the Spirit's about to bring you. And then we get to this part, verse 6. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Now, let's, let's kind of unpack that verse a little bit. We just heard from Isaiah about how God is always doing new things, Right? We heard from the beginning of this, this account in Acts about how the disciples had been with Jesus and he had been preaching and, and teaching and explaining to them how the kingdom of God was in their midst. And Jesus was ushering that kingdom into reality. And then the disciples say, Hey, hey Jesus, uh, is now the time? Is now the time when you're going to restore Israel? Restore the kingdom to Israel? So I wonder if they just didn't quite understand that God was doing something even bigger. And I wonder if Jesus was like, you guys, seriously, I've been with you for three years talking about the kingdom of God advancing, talking about a new kind of kingdom that doesn't involve swords and might and, and war and conquest, but that involves the meek inheriting the earth and that involves a, a place where those who are poor are called blessed. This is a different kind of kingdom. And yet the disciples are saying, hey, are you going to restore us now to the way things used to be? Are you going to restore King David's kingdom, the one where we had power and, and glory and land and, and, and all those former things that we used to love? I, we used to be powerful. We used to be triumphant in battle. We used to have a great king who would lead us. Are you going to bring us back to that? Those were the days. Can you, is this the time? Is this the time, Lord, where you're going to bring us back to that? Can't we go back there? Do you ever feel like that? Do you ever remember a time in the past, maybe when God was just moving so powerfully that you're like, oh God, can we just go back there again? He says, are you going to restore, they, they ask, are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? This is also a way of... They're thinking about themselves, right? Are you going to make things better for us? We're tired of this, this persecution. We're tired of this, this captivity. We're tired of all these. We're tired of the oppression of the empire of Rome. 
Tell us you're here now, finally, after all this, after you've lived and died and been resurrected, now you're going to restore us to the way things used to be, right? And Jesus says, well, hang on. Is now the time? Let's go, Jesus. And Jesus says, don't you see it? Don't you see it? Didn't you hear me this whole time when I was preaching about the kingdom? For three years I told you that I have come to bring a different kind of kingdom. One that is built on justice, as we talked about last week, where, where everybody has enough. One that is built on the principle that, that we, as a part of God's kingdom, all belong. That's the kingdom that God is bringing. There's no hierarchy. There's no, uh, there's no one in need. There's a sense of, of justice, which means a, a fullness, a completeness, a shalom, a wellness for everyone, a thriving for everyone. That's the kingdom that I'm bringing, not the kind of empire that we've seen in the past, not the kind of empire that Rome is bringing upon us now. I'm coming to bring a new kingdom. There's a bigger story here of restoration and redemption and salvation for all people, not just the few, the powerful, the mighty, but for all people. And so Jesus doesn't really answer their question, right? He he says, this is not yours to know. He says, but he will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes. And that's a good lesson for us today, too, to realize that we don't do anything in the church or in the world without the power of the Holy Spirit. You will receive power. Jesus says, don't worry about bringing in the kingdom. I'm bringing in the kingdom. You get to participate, but here's how you do it. You wait for the Holy Spirit. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and even to the ends of the earth. And I wonder what the disciples felt like when they heard that. They probably were thinking, awesome, we get to be a part of what Jesus is bringing. Uh, We get to bring good news to the world. And and we get to to do that at where? Oh, in Jerusalem. Awesome. Love Jerusalem. The holy city, it's coming back. We're going to do this thing. Jerusalem, you could kind of think of as Boone United Methodist Church. It's the people you are most connected to. Maybe even your family or your home. Yes, we're going to preach good news to those people. I love those people. They're wonderful. And where else? Oh, Judea. Okay, all of Judea. Fantastic. That's like Watauga County, right? It's like a little bit bigger. These are our neighbors. These are the people that we know and, and, and do life with, and, and they're around, and they're familiar to us, and, and we know who they are. And yes, we're going to, awesome, we're going to bring good news to them. We're going to, we're going to tell them about the good news of Christ. And wh- where else did you say, Jesus? Uh, Samaria? Mm. <laughs> no, 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 that's okay. Uh, we're, we're good. Do you know the Samaritans were people that did not get along with the people from Judea? They were people that, that did not get along with God's people. They, they, in fact, there was a lot of just animosity and tension and fighting. Um, and so when Jesus talked about bringing good news to the Samaritans, that would have made them go, whoa, wait a second. I don't know if I want to talk to them. Those people that hate us? Those people that we try to avoid when we're making our pilgrimages? Uh, I don't know about that. But Jesus says, yeah, even, even that. Even those people. Even those people that you would rather not be with. Even them, we are bringing, this kingdom is open even to them and to the ends of the world. You see, in Christ, God was breaking down the human barriers that we put up between one another. God was expanding the boundaries of the kingdom to include the whole world. Now God's chosen people is everyone who has ever lived. 
That's what God was doing. God was doing a new thing, a bigger thing. There's a bigger picture happening here. And God is calling them to be a part of it. It's more expansive. It's more, there are more possibilities than, we ever, than the disciples ever imagined or that we have ever imagined. William Temple is, is credited with having said, said this about the church. The Christian church is the only organization in the whole world that exists solely for the benefit of its non-members. We're the only group that exists for the people who aren't a part of our group. That's us. That's the, that's the call that we are invited to. That's the invitation that God gives us by the power of the Spirit to extend good news and love and grace and forgiveness and mercy and kindness even to those that we don't like, even to those that we might even hate. We are called to be inclusive and include them into what God is doing, the new thing that God is working in our midst. The only organization in the world that exists for the benefit of our non-members. We need to believe this. We need to ask the question, so who is it? (laughs) Who is it that's not here? And how can we invite them to be a part of what God is doing here? That's the challenge. That's the call. That's the invitation that the Holy Spirit offers us this morning from this book of Acts. In 1963, Michael Ramsey was the Archbishop of Canterbury, and he was called to a worldwide gathering of Anglicans to preach to them. And he said this, he said, the church that lives for itself will die by itself. The church that lives for itself will die by itself. If we are only concerned with what's happening inside these four walls, if we're only concerned with those of us who are here, if we're only concerned with with Jerusalem, with Boone UMC, we're not going to make it. We are not going to make it. The way that the church has grown throughout history has always been by reaching out to those who are not here. And of course we care for one another. That's the first thing he says, right? To Jerusalem, to to Judea. We care for one another. But we also are invited to ask the question, who's not here? Who else needs to hear the witness of what God has done in our lives? The new thing that God is doing even right now in our midst. Who else needs to know about that? That's not here. We have more space, right? We've got space in the balcony. Restrictions are being lifted. We're going to be able to accommodate more people now. Who else needs to be here? And here's the thing. If we don't invite those people, and even saying those people is divisive, right? Who are those people? If we don't invite the people who have not heard the good news, if we, have not, if we don't invite the people who are wondering, is there any good news left in the world? If we don't invite them, do you know who will? God will. God will continue advancing the kingdom with or without us. God just gives us the option to participate. And to be a part of it. The kingdom of God keeps advancing. Look at this, the end of the book of Acts. I find this really interesting. Acts chapter 28. And uh, this won't be on the screen, but I'm going to read to you um, from Acts chapter 28. This is the very end when Paul goes to Rome and preaches there uh, while he's under, under the watch of a guard. He says this, um, the leaders of, of the, the, the faith leaders in Rome at the time, This is verse 23 of Acts chapter 28. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. He witnessed to them 
from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God and from the law of Moses and from the prophets. He tried to persuade them about Jesus. Some were convinced by what he said, but others would not believe. They disagreed among themselves and began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. He talked about the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he spoke through the prophet Isaiah, some of the words that we've read. He says this, Therefore, I want you to know, verse 28, that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And I think what Paul is, not I think, what Paul is saying there is, hey, God's kingdom is advancing with or without you. Our job is to preach the good news. Our job is to invite, as Jesus has invited us, into the kingdom, into the grace, into the mercy, into the love. God invites us to invite others into that. And if we don't do it, God's going to keep on doing it. And there will be other places and other churches where the Spirit breaks in and, and they experience revival and they, they follow after the heart of God. But we are invited to that work as well. It, Paul preaches the kingdom, makes a case for Christ. They argue and, and they don't listen. And so he says, well, the gospel is going to move on. It's like a river, right? The river, a river cannot go backwards. It only goes one direction. It's always moving. It's always moving in the direction that God is leading. And when it arrives at the ocean, it realizes that it's part of something vastly bigger than it had ever imagined possible. I mean, you think about the path of a river, right? All of the winding roads that it takes, all of the ways that it cuts paths, even through rock, all the ways that it meets resistance and has to find another path. But that river is always moving. It's never the same. Can't go back. It's always moving toward where God has for it to go, right? To the ocean. And when it opens up to the ocean, it realizes, whoa, look at the possibilities here. It would have been hard to imagine that, that that, that little river that at times could be just so small and, and seemingly fragile and, and slow moving could open up into this big expanse of an ocean. And friends, I wonder if it could be that God is inviting us to the ocean even now. Back in Acts chapter 1, we hear that the disciples heard the word from Jesus to, to wait for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And when the Holy Spirit comes, you will receive power. And so what they did is they went and gathered. I'm going to read a couple of verses after where we stopped. Verse 12, the apostles returned to Jerusalem. And they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. In verse 14, they all joined together constantly in prayer. This was their response to God's invitation. That there is more out there. That there are more possibilities. That God is doing a new thing. Let's pray about that. And let's see how we might join it. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones uh, is a revivalist. He, tell, he tells the story of a Welsh preacher who was invited to speak in a small town at a, at a convention that they were having. And the preacher was, uh, was delayed. He was not there. And so everybody in the town had gathered and they were ready to hear from this preacher. And he wasn't there. And so they sent word to him. They sent somebody back to his house and said, hey, uh, we're all here. It's time to go. Let's go. Uh, but he didn't answer. 
And they came back and said, he's not, he's not answering. I think he's talking to somebody. And they said, well, hey, go back again and tell him, come on, let's go. It's time to go. So they went back and, and again, they heard him talking and he came back and they reported the same thing. Preacher's talking to somebody. I know he's talking to somebody. He said, how do you know that? He said, well, because I, I heard him say, if you don't come with me, I am not going to go preach to these people. <laughs> and they went back and everybody said, let's just wait. <laughs> let's just wait. I love that story. If the Holy Spirit is not with us, if we're not spending prayer, time in prayer, then we might as well not go at all, <laughs> right? And that's why I'm so excited about the revival that's coming up. Friends, we have some time between now and June 9th through 11th to be doing exactly that, to be waiting. We sense that God is moving in our midst, and so we're trying to be responsive. We're trying to be open to that. We're trying to see what new thing is God inviting us to after all of this just really difficult past 18 months. God is moving and active in our midst and always, like the river, always moving towards something bigger, towards something more beautiful, towards something better than we can even imagine. And so we're spending time now, over these next several days leading up into June, praying about revival. I mentioned last week, I I encourage you to set your alarm for 8.56. Mine went off this morning, right before, of course, right before worship, and I love that reminder. Psalm 85.6 says this, Will you not revive us again? that your people may rejoice in you. Will you not revive us again, Lord? Will you not continue to show us the new thing that your spirit is doing in our midst? Will you not open us up to how you are moving and active in our lives? God, revive our hearts. And so I invite you, if you haven't set your alarm for 856, to do that and join us in prayer for revival. Because with God, the possibilities are endless. If God can take a people in captivity and restore to them their land and help them reimagine how to worship. If if God can enter humanity through Christ and leave heaven to restore and make all things new, what can God do with us? If, If God can offer salvation to absolutely everybody, even the people that we don't like to be around, what can God do in our midst? What can God do with a post-pandemic Boone United Methodist Church? What can God do here in this place? Friends, as a church, we've got a history of responding to the Holy Spirit's invitations. I mean, we're on this property, right? Because we moved from King Street, because we wanted to expand to offer more possibility for our community to gather, to offer more space for people to come and worship. To, to create a space for children to have school and Sunday school and, and, and for, for the kingdom to be advancing. We've always been a responsive church. King Street Church, I, Crossroads, I, all of these ways in which we sense that, hey, the Spirit is moving. Let's listen and let's be in prayer and let's respond. I wonder what God might do through a post-pandemic Boone United Methodist Church. I wonder what new thing God is raising up even now in your heart, in my heart, for the kind of ministry, the kind of witness that would speak to Jerusalem and Judea and even Samaria and the ends of the earth. What people who are not here now desperately are out there looking and searching and longing to be a part of something that's not fickle and fading, but something that stands forever. 
How many people are wondering spiritually? How many people are asking questions about what does it mean to be alive and what is my purpose and what am I doing here on the earth? Friends, we know we are here. We're here to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ, risen and resurrected and offering us resurrection life here and for eternity. And so I wonder who needs to hear that message. I wonder how we might be witnesses in a post-pandemic world. I wonder what new thing God is raising even now in our midst. And I invite you to join the disciples in the way that they responded to that invitation by being in prayer and waiting with hope and expectation about how God is going to continue to move in our midst, leading up to the revival, in the revival, and in the next season of life and ministry for our church and for our world. Come, Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.